last episode. 294. I'm your host, Mike Epps, aka Wheels, with me as always. Thoroughly burritoed, taking a friendly family master. And hopefully we'll get Gaijin on later on in this episode. It's a, it's a hope, but we'll see. Yeah, we're recording a little earlier than normal for reasons. They don't care about the reasons, they don't need them. Yeah. Also, I just noticed a horrendous typo in the episode uh, archive. What's that? You labeled episode 292 as 282. Uh, what? I can fix that. Shit. Whatever. Right. No, I'm gonna, f- I'm gonna f- fuck it. We'll do it live. It's being fixed as you listen. Presuming you are listening live, which you are not. So I can see who the one viewer is. Is it you? It's me. Whatever. So. Uh, while you're doing that, what you been, what you been playing, Wales? Fixed. Uh, I've been playing some Dragon Quest. Hmm. Uh, That's pretty good. Pretty good. And uh, currently, during and the new section of the game is a new to the S version, where you play Silvando after um, bad things happen to the party. Yeah. And that's been a pretty, that's been pretty fun so far. I'm glad hmm. they added this to the game. <laughs> um, I think what else I've been playing. Um, it's mostly it as far as relevant games. <sighs> I, I mean, a game being irrelevant has never made me stop talking about it. That's so. true. I mean, I've been playing a lot of Destiny, but that's... Okay, that I'll mutiny against. (laughs) Uh, For reasons. Not good ones, but reasons. Uh, Well, let me explain this very quickly. Um, You have 30 seconds. Okay, so every week there is a featured raid, quote-unquote, of one of the older raids, and basically that's when you can get higher level gear from that raid, as if it's a feature raid. And it also means you can farm that raid for said gear, as in you can play it as many times as you like and get gear. Uh, And it happened to coincide with the raid they changed this current season to make all the weapons you can get from there craftable. So people were going absolutely nuts uh, farming the, the raid this past week to get as many of those as they can to the point where the game like was breaking one of the nights. So yeah, that's that. That and Dragon Quest... Okay, you're about five seconds week. over, but I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, I don't understand the loop, Brian, but what else? I think I also played some Void Terrarium, but nothing new to say about that game. It's more, more roguelike goodness. 
You'll never sure. guess what I'm still trying to finish. Oh, wait, What's hold that? on. I played the new uh, Neptunia game. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. It's um, it's a spin-off-ish? It's... Is there a main series anymore? Does that still have a main series? I feel like it's just an endless parade of spin-offs. It, yes, it does. Uh, but this is sort of... Plays sort of like a main series game, except it's an action RPG. It's it's interesting, but it's it's kind of like a follow up to uh, the second main series game, which starred all the side characters based after portable video game systems. So it's a little side game starring those characters, and it's pretty fun. Can't see me, but I'm glaring at you. Yes, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Whatever. Leave me alone. Never. I should have saved this for when Tam was on. Get back, man. Alright, that's it. Okay, let's hear about Dragon Age. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, you'll never guess what I've been spending all my time still trying to finish. It's a very long game. Not sure if you know. I did. It's um, I never got very far in it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm most of the way through. If I, if I push forward, I can probably have it done by the next time we record. Uh done basically all the companion side quests done most of the major story quests I've got what's left is DLC DLC uh, last couple main story quests more DLC <laughs> oh fun so closing in on the closing in on the end there not a lot of uh, new hot takes about the game's quality I've already uh, it's it's mostly like I've worked out what I care about and I enjoy what I'm playing. It's not the game that I necessarily would have wanted Dragon Age 3 to be, but it is not a bad game for what it is. That's good. I've been playing anything else. It's been a really busy week. I have a lot to do at work. Um, yeah, I feel that. Uh, I was going to say something about it. Uh, hmm. Did we have... Uh, there's not a lot of actual news. There's just a lot of rumors of news. Yeah. Uh, is there any of those we actually wanted to give breath to? Uh, I forget what the recent rumors were. Uh, Sony allegedly cut forecasts on what they expect to sell on the PSVR 2. I mean, the numbers that they were apparently guessing at before sounded optimistic. They immediately vociferously denied those rumors because those rumors could theoretically sheer value off their stock. But I mean, like I said, I, I feel like the numbers that they were saying they thought that the PSVR 2 was going to sell were pretty optimistic. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, any number that looked good would be overly optimistic in my mind. I think they were saying like 2 million this quarter or something. It's like that's half a buddy. It's $550 good before luck. tax. Can they uh, even make that many of them? <laughs> They allegedly the reason that they uh, changed their internal forecast was because they had 
essentially were allegedly telling suppliers that they like weren't going to need as many like screams and shit as they had previously expected. Mm. Let's see. Uh, there are some there are some other rumors. I'm trying to remember what any of them are at the stage. Uh, um, let's see. Oh, it's for for a thing that actually happened, but seems just kind of uh. Like, it was always weird that the service was continuing after Sony decided to make multiple way too expensive tiers of PS Plus. But also, uh, it sure doesn't feel good to be paying for a service that they are actively removing features from. Yeah. Do you remember the PS Plus collection? Vaguely. Basically, when the PS5 launched, if you had PS Plus and PS5, you could sort of claim a like a fair number of PS uh, PS4 games to just have as downloads, uh, essentially for God only knows how long. There's some there's some decent stuff in there. Uh, you get things like. Uh, Bloodborne and uh, a bunch of Sony first-party stuff, FF15 Royal Edition, uh, the 2018 God of War, uh, Resident Evil 7. Vanilla Persona? Yeah, they had Persona 5 Vanilla for some fucking reason. But, uh, you know, you, you could get a lot of stuff that was like PS4 games people actually wanted. And uh, that's going away. That was quick. they are they they're, it's, it's been you say that's been quick that was quick but it's been two and a half years since that thing launched. Oh, uh, it's more weird because it's just like they're it's going away and it's being replaced with nothing. Nice, which I mean not nice. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, you have made this service less valuable and you've replaced it with nothing. It's one of those things like you, if you implement a feature like that and then it goes away, people expect it to be replaced by something. Mm. This is not the case. You will not be, uh, there will be no more. Uh, you get nothing. There will be no more DS Plus watches gone. Yeah. Uh, presumably in part because the intention is to increase the value of the. Uh, PS Plus Essential upgraded tier, which costs more and has a very similar thing of like here's some games to download that yeah. you can play for as long as you have PS Plus Essential. And yeah, don't like that, Swedes. Don't care. Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not not personally interested. Uh, it's just feels shitty. <laughs> just doesn't. Yeah. You, you gotta blunt this impact with something. I mean, I don't even know what PS5 games are coming out this year. What am I supposed to care about on this useless hunk of machinery? Um, Final Fantasy 16? Spider-Man 2? Apparently Spider-Man 2 is supposed to come out this year. That'll be fun. I'll play that for 20 hours. Uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons I own this stupid box. Yeah, let's see. 
I'll be playing like a Dragon Ishin on it. I don't think that's anything like exclusive. Uh, yeah, no, I am playing it. Got that pre-ordered on Xbox. Let's see. Uh, oh boy, you can play the, the Horizon VR game if you buy a $550 VR machine. Oh wow, that sounds terrible. Let's see. There's a Four remake. It's not exclusive in the world. I'm just looking at like a list of games. And it's like Dead Island Two. Is there a human being that wants a Dead Island Two? No. Just, Didn't if think if so. Someone says yes. They're probably lying. Uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. That's not exclusive. But didn't that? Oh, that just got delayed. Yeah. Yeah, to April. I don't think it was delayed far. I don't think it was ever set for anything earlier than like March. But... Yeah, that's that's a minor delay. Yeah, one of those things where they like decide that needs a little bit of last minute polish or it failed some sort of certification. <laughs> or both. Um, that Suicide Squad game that looks super ill advised. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh... You can make a Suicide Squad game about killing the Justice League when you've given me an actual fucking Justice League game. Maybe yeah. then I'll care. Okay. I don't I have a like a modern game where I can play as the Flash before you give me a game where I'm supposed to murder the Flash. Is that yeah, same possible? thing with Superman. Yeah, still feels very off that the last uh, appearance yeah, of no. Kevin Conroy's Batman will be yeah. after he had will be you attempting to murder him. Yeah, and also uh, injustice doesn't count for any of these things. I mean, that's also a game about the Justice League trying to kill each other. Yeah. So that super doesn't count either. Like, half those characters have not had a good game, let alone an actual game in a decade. I don't know what's happened. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the next exclusive that anyone uh, seems to care about... Like, because we've got things like Resident Evil 4 Remake, and I'll play that, but it's like, it's not a PS5 game, it's just a game on PS5. <laughs> Next exclusive anyone seems to care about is fucking FF16, which that's for people who aren't me. Yep. So yeah, this is going to be, this is looking like a pretty uh, down year for the system, other than the slow, torturous wait for FF7 Rebirth. That I care about. Same, same. Yeah, and Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2, that'll be, that'll be. We'll play that in co-op. Allegedly, the, the rumors are that has co-op. Oh, sweet. Who will be Peter and who will be Miles? Uh, I'll be Miles. I would also be Miles. It doesn't really matter. Both right. are good. I don't know. I'll be Peter. <laughs> sure, sure. It's fun. We're, we're, we're discussing this incredibly important discussion. Who will be uh, who will be the uh, which Spider-Man in this alleged co-op mode that we don't actually know for certain exists. <laughs> uh, I hope it does, because that would be rather That would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. I'll feel less bad that I that, uh, my PS Plus just automatically renewed today without me remembering to Fucking turn it off because because like what the hell am I doing with this thing? <laughs> oh well. Uh, yeah, I remember I went to go do something recently in PS5, and it was like, oh, 
I think it was to do a cloud backup or download a save from the cloud, and it's like, oh, I don't have not had PS Plus active apparently for several uh-huh. months. Rip. Uh, oh well. I'm up until next February, so Spider Man actually comes out when they say it does. Nice. There was there was rumors about when it was supposed to come out because it was listed as like a spring title in Australia and that would put it at end of this year for North America. Yeah. Because the seasons they're different in different hemispheres. Nice. Uh but yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know if there's any other, like, news coming out. Like, everyone's chapping at the bit for more, uh, for, like, when the next, uh, Nintendo Direct's gonna happen. Yeah. Because what, there's what? always one in February. Yeah. <laughs> Those are not based on any evidence, just past. Just people history. being like, yeah, I mean, there's always one in the first quarter. Yeah, usually in February. And assuming we do get one, that's probably going to have a new Zelda trailer, and that will be exciting. So very outlandish. Like every time that someone thinks there's a direct coming out, someone will like make like the, the here's the things that's going to be announced, and they're always like a good laugh. But I think I think the one that was outlandish to me mostly because it was the kind of thing that could only be that could only be conceived of and cared about by a very specific audience was the one that had Trails in the Sky HD on it. What? Uh, like uh, I will I will make uh, I will make rumors. They will not be plausible rumors, but I will make them. Yeah, like what? I would enjoy. It. I would play it again. Yeah, I'm stupid. <laughs> I throw it on the stack and then just finish the PSP version anyway. Because you would finish the PSP version of one. Yeah, because I'm not fucking starting over from scratch. Actually, just give you me say two, that. Just give me two HD and then do one HD. There was the, the 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 fake rumor was trilogy HD. Okay, see that that I could work with. <laughs> It's a, it's. I would, I would describe it as a mistake of marketing to treat those games as a trilogy. They are two games and an epilogue, a very, yeah. very good epilogue, but definitely an epilogue. <laughs> but, uh, just, just one of those things. Like it's always funny to see what shows up on those rumor lists. Yeah. There's always like a weird bias towards extremely niche options. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I would, I would enjoy. Proper port of the Trails in the Sky game for the Switch, please and thank you. Um, yes, please. Uh, let's see. Oh, there was um, there was a NIS America event this week. Oh yeah, they finally they announced a few, uh, few cool announcements. They finally announced the Sky Seven. Well, localization. Yes. Yeah, that's what I. Which was assumed, but yeah. It's nice to, nice to get it's it. One of those things that, it's one of those things that's like, everyone was just sort of waiting for when they would like yeah. actually say it. Yeah, so it looks like fall this year. It's looking pretty cool. It's got a similar look to 6. As um, you'd expect. Yeah, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. And 
another game on this engine should be nice and it's coming to switch and ps5 at the same time which means smoking joe not yell about that yes, smoking joe will not have to teeth. yell at the, the switch version you can just get it on ps5 or pc i, I, think I can't i cannot believe that this this uh this strategy rpg drop frames <laughs> how will i play how will i play I saw the phrase item reincarnation and was really unsettled. I don't like that idea. I'm scared of what it will do to the kind of person who yes. already engages in tons of character reincarnation. Yeah. Uh, They're going to die. Yeah, so uh, I will. I think I'll be engaging in some more disguise this year because the series has shockingly turned 20 and now I feel... Disguise 1 came uh, out half my life ago. That's disturbing. Uh, Disgaea Hour of Darkness. Yes. Back before NIS had an American branch. Yeah, that was uh, Atlas published. Atlas I published. Remember. I remember the ads they put out that were like fake laxative bottles. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, um, I do actually need to finish Disgaea 6 at some point, so that's going to happen this year. But it's nice to want things. You got many things. It's a game I really enjoyed that healed a lot of pain from five. Time heals all wounds. Yes. I think. Uh, I don't remember where I saw it, but I, it was something around this announcement. Maybe it was in the, ch ch the Twitch chat or something for uh, that show. Uh, but I saw somebody bashing this guy five. And it filled my heart with warmth. Saw a kindred spirit. Yes. So, what else was announced with that? Disguise 7 was the only thing. Uh, so, they announced a a remaster of the sequel to Rhapsody. <laughs> There's so many thoughts on that. A remaster of the sequel to Rhapsody. That didn't that never came out here? That I yeah, we never really got know that. existed? But yeah, that will finally be coming uh, out in English. Um... They also showed off a game, I think, I don't think this was a new announcement, I'm pretty sure it, they'd announced it a while ago, it was some like roguelike-ish RPG I see. that involves like delving into dungeons and then making food from the monsters you kill or something, I forget the name of it, but it looks pretty fun. Which is coming out uh, either next this month or next month? probably next month because they have uh, Void, to uh, Void Terrarium 2 coming out this month already So, um, but that looked pretty fun uh, and yeah that was about it no, 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 two, no really big announcements there other than um, uh, the Rhapsody sequel how do you feel about the fact that there's a Rhapsody <laughs> is there? <laughs> right and i think this includes that too oh nice yeah i think it's both of them actually let's uh, see yeah that's that's yeah i mean i could see that being something that someone be would be iffy about localizing since it's a musical it's a, it's a lot of work to localize songs yeah <clears throat> i mean i assume they're just I assume they're just going to use the original songs and have subtitles like they did for the, the DS version, was it? 
that that game got Yeah, released? there's a DS version, yeah. and it was also recently released as part of Twenty Percent yes. NAS Classics Volume Three. Yes. I don't. This... I don't think that re-release had like the the songs in English. That the yeah, I think there's. Version did. There's rights issues with those. Yeah. But yeah, this will be a, a double header of Rhapsody 2, Ballad of the Little Princess, and Rhapsody 3, Memories of Moral Kingdom. Which, uh, an early PS2 game. That is a PS2 game from 2000. Mm. Uh, yeah, one of those things was like. Like th this series, I believe that NIS basically went Rhapsody, Rhapsody 2, Rhapsody 3, La Pucelle Tactics, and then Disgaea. And they went back and localized La Pucelle after uh, Disgaea became a success. But they never went back for Rhapsody 2 and 3. These are kind of the last major things they ever did that just never had any sort of English presence before. Yeah. Hello. 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 Going into the Marl saga? Yes. Yeah, it's just now getting its uh, English an English debut of two and three. This should it's... be an interesting experience to witness on the internet. Oh. Yep. Tell us more. Oh no, I don't know anything more. I just remember how the the first one in English was re was received at times. And oh yeah. And, you weren't uh, ready for I, that kind of game. <laughs> yeah. And in general, I've, I mean, I have overdone it on on Nippon Ichi games before. It's just like, it's very easy to burn yourself out by doing too much. They're all very similar. You kind of got to pace yourself. Yep. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to see those get picked up. Uh, it's one of those things like, if, if you had told me that we'd get a Rhapsody 2 and 3 that I was only dimly aware even happened uh, yeah. before, like, say, Gust ever went back for any of the old Atelier games, I would not have necessarily believed you on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, at least for the the older Atelier games, there are some there are fan retro gameplay issues that make it difficult to recommend them to people who started with later games. It's true, but at the same time, when you're going back for a re-release slash potential remaster, that's your chance to fix that. But, yeah. Uh, just, just one of those things. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I mean, fix that as in get people to like the old style, or fix that as in updating them to the new style, which would be a completely different game. One yeah. of the, like, it's, it's your options for, like, if you decide to do a... Uh, remaster, you'll get like the hardcore Atelier fans that care about trying to see how the series evolves, but you won't get the uh, new ones that were lured in by uh, the amount of art they saw on the internet of Atelier Rises Thighs, but uh, if you remake them, you might be able to draw in a certain amount of that crowd, so who knows? I know, I mean, I mean, Marie had its share of cleavage. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not an entirely new phenomenon. kind of all do. Series. <laughs> yeah, but Marie had actually had more than than Ellie or Lily. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, we are on PS two, especially not by mid nineties manga standards. But um, the original artist um, 
she um she had a very particular style to her that everyone had to follow to an extent, but they covered up a bit more for the later ones. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I've I've certainly seen much much worse from that time period. Most yeah. assuredly. Yeah. Just but look yeah. up look up uh, Marlone or Atelier Marie and just take a look at the protagonist and I mean it's not really blatant. It's not even as blatant as Rise's thighs. But <laughs> she's definitely wearing a much lower cut item than anyone else in the series for much of the series. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of neat to see those games uh, show up once more. You don't. Uh, it's always nice when something that has uh, that like existed for many years in a language that you could not uh, could not read well uh, finally shows up. Uh, and it's it's interesting to see them. Uh, take a crack at two uh, unlocalized games, bundle yes. them together, and dub them both. Oh, they're dubbing them. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This should be this should be really fun to watch the reactions. <laughs> uh, yeah. Apparently, Wheels will probably have to be uh, looking at the uh, NIS uh, online store for the uh, limited edition. That yeah, it's already. Already done? Yes, it's done. Nice, good work. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's cute. Uh, I think that was, that was all the uh, stuff that actually happened to that. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping, Dragon, hoping again right. for a Disgaea 3 remaster, but no such luck. I'm sure it will happen someday. Uh, Gaijin, what have you been playing? I've been doing Pokemon Sun with my all-blue team. <laughs> or, or as blue as I can make them, because the options are kind of limited at first. Yeah, yeah, you kind of got to yeah. work with what the game gives, yeah. Yeah, so like right now I've got two canon with blue eyes and blue feet. But I, I had to I had to retire um, Crobat because... It's color scheme from purple. mostly blue with, with purple to mostly purple with a little blue. Yeah. On the plus side, I think I've I have had to catch exactly fourteen. I've caught fourteen Pokemon directly in the entire game. I haven't missed a single ball yet, so I haven't even bought any new Pokeballs because the game keeps giving them to me. Um, mm. And I've I've been spamming the Wonder Trade system, which still works. <laughs> um, so I've actually gotten several more blue ones and. Quite a large section of the Alolan Pokedex already. Damn! Wow. Yeah. So th this is from it's like my starter plus fourteen, including I've been making a point of catching everything that someone requests that I show them, regardless of color, and immediately <laughs> one training it out. Um, Dump that shit immediately. Yeah. I mean, I also caught Rog and, Rog and Rolla and Carbink just because I wasn't sure if they were actually blue or not from the game sprites until I took a closer look and decided no, more purple. Too purple. Not out yeah. faster. No, mostly Periwinkle. Yeah, it's like no, mm -hmm. I need that. Since I also know there are actual blue rock type Pokemon later in the game. <laughs> yeah, I've also got a couple that I know will be turning blue once they actually evolve properly. <laughs> Uh, I'll grow into being worthy of the team. Yeah. 
I just have to wait before um wait a while before Charger Bug is capable of evolving up. Since it requires um, a specific area of the game. Uh, yeah. That's a good that's a good cooldown after uh, Persona 5 Royal. But <laughs> uh, uh, last week I did mention like I've got ideas on how to do more things with the series. Oh yeah, yeah, you did. So it's just like it's, yeah, the, the kind of thing I think about randomly is like, okay, um, how do you define the core of a series, basically, especially something like Persona? Mm. So it's like, okay, I mean, how much can I change before it's it stops being unrecognizable? Yeah, 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 and especially for like the the second Persona series, because I mean, seriously, three, four, and five are their own series. Um, mm. It's it's very much tied to the all, all the social aspects. Yeah, definitely. And I've been just thinking and thinking and thinking and realizing there is a very good reason why the main character has always been a transfer student second year high school. Hmm. And moreover, the same reason why I can name that... If you give me a moment, I can probably name like 12 different games that use the exact same intro setup. Very, very common in both games and anime. Yeah, and a couple anime as well. Um, but I mean, part of it is just... It's... um. Uh, you know the Gakko and Mono genre? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even with games that follow that genre and games that do not follow that genre but still use the same tropes, um, a lot of this, the plot is based around the main character attempting to fit in as the new kid. Mm. So they and don't so there needs to be an established social dynamic, so it has to be exactly. second year. Yeah, they can't bring him in first year because everyone is figuring it out. And they can't bring him in third year because then most of the story would be dominated by them worrying about getting into college. Mm -hmm. the, the social elements would necessarily take a backseat. <laughs> yes. In fact, I, I'm very surprised that this was not a bigger issue with Haru and Makoto in Persona 5. Except yeah, they... I, can, I can imagine possibly the police academy entrance exams being a little later and so they were falling in the period where your main character is in prison. Um <laughs> And probably, yeah. I mean, hey, it, he's a phantom thief. He's going to be in prison at some point, multiple <laughs> times during the game. In fact, um, I mean, actually, from the very start of the game, in fact. <laughs> um, but um, and Haru could probably just buy her way into any university she wanted. Indeed, indeed. She's also got a lot of other things on her plate, so if we went too far into her, uh, what she's doing, it would kind of have to take over an entire game. Yeah, really. Um, so, so, I remember um, some people complaining about Shin Megami Tensei Five being too Persona-ish, and literally the only thing it has in common with Persona is the fact that the main character is, in fact, a second-year high school student transferring in. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of mechan story mechanical reasons as to why you do that. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I wish they had taken the second, um, like the second act of that game, and really gone with it because with it more towards Persona, because that would have made the different factions later on more interesting. If you actually had real characters attached to some of these d um, divine beings. Yeah, I always feel like that tends to be a weakness of the mainline. Uh, SMT games is that they want to make the faction choices impactful, but they often are attached to characters that just don't have a lot to them. Yeah. 
Oh. Well, that and the, the mainline series is a big picture series. Mm-hmm. Very much a big picture series. Oh, um, just... Sidebar, we have questions in the chat. Oh, okay. okay. I'll keep that in mind. Do you think pertinent now, or can we ignore them for a while? We can ignore them for uh, a little bit. Yeah, we'll okay. think a bit of it more. Okay. Other than Hollywood and Mega telling me not to die, and I think was probably right before I did die. So. Yeah, I'm sure you died. Yes. You were saying that. Stop the ironic wishes. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, my first main thought is okay. So we want to keep the next Persona game being recognizably Persona and not Mega Ten in general mm. and we that means we need to keep the social aspects mm. probably don't need to change a lot of the gameplay aspects just because persona 5 got it very well done at by this point it's extremely polished yeah uh, i mean there's not much that you could do to the battle system that wouldn't ruin it mega 10 5 um <laughs> seriously i did not like the way that it dealt with nullifications and absorptions and things Mm-hmm. Um, especially since several of the several of the tactics I used to beat the final bo- final boss and the final 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 boss of Persona Five would not have worked um, <laughs> in Mega Ten Five. It would have killed me. Um, okay, but getting back here, so we need to find a way of changing up the game in a way that keeps the social aspects. But again, issues with that with Jap- with Japan, right? Hmm. So, I mean, this is also why we can't really put it into a college age either, because again, the dynamics change. Speaking of the questions, one of them was the: Do we think that uh, we'll ever see Persona uh, move into college? And my answer would be probably not. Probably not for all the reasons why we just stated why junior, um, high school second year is the standard trope starting point for this kind of game. Yeah, and the, why... the other thing. Uh, sorry, just just to expound okay. on that just a little bit. The other thing that makes college less enticing, uh, aside from the fact that you kind of would have to start from first year, it's weirder to transfer colleges, uh, yes. is just the fact that uh, if you're in college, you, your character kind of has to have some sort of known drives and specific goals in a way that you can't be as listless as high school. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, so my first thought for how to actually move the age range up for this game mm-hmm. while actually keeping the, a lot of the dynamics proper is simply um, change the setting. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if you look at all, the entire Persona series, starting with If, you've got vaguely maybe Tokyo High School, vaguely maybe Tokyo High School, vaguely maybe Tokyo High School twice, Vaguely made me Tokyo High School. Um, Vaguely rural high school. (laughs) Yeah, rural high school. And then finally, actually, actually outright... Real Tokyo High School. Real Tokyo. It's amazing that it took literally seven games of a series with five five numbers to get actually stated in the middle of Tokyo. But, I mean, that's also a trope for for a lot of anime and manga and everything else's. Tokyo is just that big. It's got you, could, you, could set, and you could set another Persona game in a different part of Tokyo at the same time as Persona 5. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, Tokyo um, Tokyo is so large that it does not have a prefecture. It is officially merged with its own prefectural government because there was no difference in boundaries. 
Yeah, it, it, it wouldn't make sense. It's gigantic. <laughs> and then it has spread past that to the point where in, where most cities in Japan have pre, have um, wards for subdivisions. Tokyo has cities for subdivisions. <laughs> and those cities yeah. have wards for subdivisions. Which was um, theoretically what they were going for with the not Tokyo's was that like, oh, you're in a city in Tokyo. <laughs> that is exactly what they're doing every single time. Um, like the Monster Strike 3DS game actually had the main characters visit Shibuya. Mm. But they were living in one of the exurbs. Mm. Yeah. Just, just um, one of the like million and one ones. They can, you can slot in a fictional one very easily because there's just so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, like Yokai Watch, Exurb. Um, the, the Precure series that just finished that my daughters have been enjoying, Exurb. <laughs> um, just, you, it's, you've got a lot of leeway of, to make stuff Mm. just say that oh it's some random corner of tokyo but um beginning to that so it's been seven games most of them kind of maybe tokyo one exactly tokyo one not tokyo i'm saying you know what exchange student the sorbonne (laughs) let's take it out of japan completely let's put the Mm. person in paris if it was going to work anywhere, Paris would be someplace that I think people yeah. would be, like, people in Japan would probably relatively accept. <laughs> there are exactly three foreign cities I could think of that would fit for this, and that they are Paris, London, and New York. Yep. Those, are, those are the places. <laughs> Los Angeles has the name recognition, but it does not have the foot traffic. It doesn't have the foot traffic, and it doesn't have the... Uh, Public transportation. <laughs> I, I was going to say that it doesn't have the mystique that those other ones do in Japanese media. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, honestly... I mean, Soccer Awards did the same thing. It went from Tokyo to Paris. <laughs> and New York. Yep. yep. Didn't do London, but they should have at some point. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the... Any of those three cities have the have the main character being an exchange student into that, and you'd have much of the same feel. You'd have a lot of the same. I don't know what I'm doing yet. To the character, mm. um, you'd have a much wider range of possible um, main cast and side characters, and just for the hell of it, you could add a sixth social stat as um, fluency. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you would actually have to raise your fluency stat to be able to understand what some of the people are saying around you. Yeah, you could probably make it so that most of the teenagers are speaking simply enough that you're understanding them just fine. But when you get to, especially if some of your social links are with uh, people in specialized professions or adults, you need higher fluency in order to understand what they're talking about. Yep. And, again, all three of those cities have very obvious and recognizable landmarks mm-hmm. yeah one way or another um so there's just a lot that could be done with um just a complete change of setting at this point mm-hmm. and they always love doing like the school trips like those are always like a big deal in uh, because they are a big deal for- yeah they're 100 percent of yeah but it's one of those things where it's like you could draw on a different aspect of things that are things people uh, tend to uh, care about in high school or fantasize about in high school. (laughs) Yeah. And, 
I mean, they're already stretching. I mean, like Anne in Persona Five. Mm -hmm. I don't care what her name is or um, or who her parents are supposed to be. She is definitely supposed to be foreign. Oh, she is. Uh, it's not really brought up in the game, unlike Lisa with uh, Persona Two, but she's supposed to be like part Finnish. I, I didn't catch what the um, what her ancestry was supposed to be, but I do know that she referred to, or she was referred to as Hafu at one point, and she's definitely not Hafu. Um, <laughs> it's because you do not get that hair and those eyes with actual half Japanese. Yeah, like I say, I think I think pre-release material described her as half Finnish. Yeah, I'm, I, was I would imagine at some point it was probably more of a part of her background. That game definitely went through a lot of revisions. Yeah. Yeah, just, it's... Yeah. Um, I, I do think so that's one of those series that's going on, going ahead very well, but it's going to need to change things up in some way that does not actually screw up the formula. Yeah, I think that's. I think that would be an interesting one that you could probably uh, get the fan base to enjoy. It gives them a lot of leeway to do things that are the same but different. <laughs> yes. And honestly, I would just love to be like on the writing staff at Atlas and get the assignment. Okay, we're setting this next game in Paris. We need somebody to go over there for a year and mm. come up with ideas. Uh, the research trips are the fun part. <laughs> oh yeah! It's like, like a year-long research trip in the middle of um, in the middle of the second round this month. Oh sure. Okay. Listen, we just also, we just need yeah, some imagine reference. Some of, imagine some of the year events that you could come up with if you put in Paris. <laughs> it's like okay, this month there's a random strike. Why? We're not sure. Um, or not sure unless your fluency is high enough to understand the social link is complaining about it. <laughs> Listen, listen, we just need another, I, I'm just, we're just going to spend today, we need a few dozen reference pictures of Arc de Triomphe. It's fine. It'll be used for an environment where you get nestling. It'll be fine. <laughs> and the, the current reconstruction of Notre Dame. Mm. Get a couple, get a couple off the top of, of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> Trocadero, uh, Montparnasse, everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I wonder if they still have that high-speed walkway in, at, at the uh, Gare Montparnasse. Mm. I remember that was new back 20 years ago when I was actually there, and it was like um, like three times normal human walking speed or moving walkway. It had mm. acceleration and deceleration points at the at each end, <laughs> mm -hmm. so you wouldn't just completely fall over. Mm. Okay, we've got a we've got a few questions from Fireminer relating to this in the chat. Uh, so why no Okinawa or Hokkaido High School? Uh, I just don't know that there's a lot different that you get out of that as the thing. Um, the, okay, so well, the benefits of a Hokkaido High School is that you could you could definitely have a main character who has to commute from literally the middle of nowhere to get to school, and thus. Mm actually meet a lot of new people that way. Uh, I remember that up until like two years ago, there was this one train stop in Hokkaido that existed only for this one high school girl. <laughs> because she was the only person in a like a 10 kilometer radius of that point who was old of a high school age. And she had to get to school. Oh boy. 
So, yeah, so by special arrangement, the school district actually got JR to, or whichever company ran that particular line, to create a whistle stop just for her for three years. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. So, um, it's possible. Um, it would have a very similar feel to Persona 4. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, so, I mean, Hokkaido, I mean, Sapporo, it would have to be set in Sapporo. Um, hmm. So Sapporo is big enough to work. Uh, hmm. It would probably still have something similar to um, to Junesu as a center point, but hmm. maybe center point for the main character's hometown, not necessarily for the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and there would the, uh, there would be a lot of commuting. Um, either that, or the or the student would have to be living in a dorm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, dorms are a, a, another fact of existence. Actually, I've got several students from Hokkaido at my school mm-hmm. there for sports. Ah. Uh... Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Hokkaido is workable, but it's also a situation that has already been done to an extent. Yeah, it's not necessarily what Inaba was based off of, certainly, but it does. It presents the same. Uh, Honestly, like... Inaba, Inaba Town or Inaba City looks a lot like Tosu and Kyushu, mm-hmm. down to the fact that the local, um, like retail mall, is the center of the city. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, end up there's with. There's also the issue that, like, four months out of the year, you'd probably be snowbound. Mm. I mean, not quite that much, but quite a lot of snow up in Hokkaido. Oh, yeah. That was why uh, Pokemon Diamond and Pearl were specifically very snowy. Yes. Yeah, let's see. Uh, also in here, I'm trying to find read manga set in different regions of Japan, something pretty good. Uh, each night also took the Parisian uh, prison route. Um, is Atlas familiar with San Francisco stereotypes? Honestly, I don't think San Francisco has that much of a footprint outside uh, in um, Japan. <laughs> I mean, if, if you were saying like in the late 90s when Full House was in syndication over here, maybe they recognized <laughs> Maybe they the recognize San Francisco from that. But oh, I no. I mean, whatever happened to predictability? Yeah. True. So yeah, okay. San, Fran, San Francisco might work. Maybe. I mean, the Golden Gate Bridge <laughs> is recognizable. Um, but most uh, people wouldn't necessarily know where the city is. Um, <laughs> as an acceptable fourth option, maybe, yeah. It's at least a city with transit. Um, yes. There is that. I mean, you can't... I mean... But you definitely cities, would not pick that as your in, first foreign city. <laughs> how, how many cities in America actually have sufficient um, local transit to make the system work? <laughs> the major uh, metropolitan areas you've heard of, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, and even some of them... Yeah. I it's, mean, uh, You're going to be working at it. Yeah. You're not gonna. You're not gonna make LA work for that. For that no. matter. No, never. I mean, never. if they're gonna do no, a persona in America, I really want a New York City one. It seems like what they have to do. 
I mean, it, when they first did a Pokemon in America, it was New York City. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, um, Oahu would be the next choice for decent public transportation. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and also just, have the the highest rated public bus service in the country. I mean, that's the that's the one American city that uh, that's the closest to an American city persona's ever been. Persona 5 school trip. Yeah, you actually go. I don't remember if they specified where you go in Hawaii on the school trip, but yeah. Yeah, there's no other place it could be besides Oahu. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that's the primary international airport area, and they don't show them going anywhere far from that. In fact, I think they hmm. actually mentioned Diamond Head at one point. Oh, maybe. It's been a minute. Fireminer says, have you guys interact with startup techie types who've been doing gentrification in SF? A hundred percent, it sucks. Uh, I don't I don't feel like uh, Persona as a franchise or concept is terribly interested in uh, like dealing with that, which is a very specific... And, uh, dealing with what? Because I couldn't quite hear what you were saying. Uh, with uh, gentrifying techie types in San Francisco. It's like, that's really specific. That's not something that they would yeah. ever care about bring up or tackle i mean i could see it as like a one of the um, like one very specific um, social link like devil or something um, yeah presumably but that's about it yeah. um time to come up data bin yeah um hmm yeah yeah um the most recognizable cities from America to, in Japan would be like in order New York, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Miami, and, and Honolulu. Can definitely, uh, Honolulu, uh, Honolulu probably before Los Angeles. But, um, <laughs> just because more people have actually been there. Um, but yeah, beyond those five, even not even Chicago would rate well for yeah, um, not so much recognition. And of those, most of them completely lack good local um, public transfer, transportation infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But hey, if you set it in Honolulu, you can make an S-Link where you're uh, hanging out with a thinly veiled version of Hironobu Sakaguchi. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> or, or have... Or have one or more different Persona game protagonists in the background having their school vacation. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ooh, okay. I'll be right back. Run to the bathroom. New England is pretty good for cult type stuff. Yeah, but you still run into the like transit issue. Yeah. Like, you run into this thing that all your characters have to be able to walk around. Yeah, but, I mean, Boston <laughs> yeah. would be pretty good, but. I feel like I've, I've walked in Boston. That's a hell place. Yeah, yeah. And and if you're gonna do the Northeast, kind of got to do New York. Yeah, yeah. you kind of do. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, yeah. Uh, don't have any. Probably. Double check the. Uh, 
So, yeah, I was going to look up uh, what, if anything, had shown up in the podcast section before we move on to the big list. Let's check. Let's check. Let's check. Let's check. Stuff for not us. Us. Uh, stuff for not us, stuff for not us. Okay, okay a lot of discussion there, none of it for us, it's fine. Um, yeah. let's see. I had a question. Let me pull up the big list as soon as my computer agrees to look for it. There it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, opened up. Okay. Uh, I always <laughs> we've gone right back into a persona question. I always feel melancholic when playing persona. Do you think it is the visual or the music that makes the games feel melancholy? I think it depends on the game. Three is an extremely melancholy game. Uh, the main theme of three is death. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very downcast game. Two is pretty downcast too. Uh, four is mostly pretty upbeat. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of J-pop in it. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, also, four is the primary color. Four is yellow. Yeah. So that one, that one I don't really usually like. It definitely has its moments where it's very solitary sounding, depending usually on the weather in that one. Uh, and then uh, five, I, I never really got a melancholy tone to. I'm not sure if I could follow you on that one. But I'd say one and both parts of two are very downbeat, uh, just by virtue of a lot of their aesthetic choices. Uh, not necessarily their music. I would say it's much more just like the way that uh, the way the worlds are constructed and the uh, color choices used. And of course, yeah, three, three, three with its its themes of death and its extremely blue color scheme and its original release. Very down downcast, even though it's also full of uh, honestly uh, music that is often quite uh, energetic. We'll go with energetic. Ezzy, <laughs> did I miss anything? No, yeah. we're just discussing uh, whether. Uh, which which Persona games had a melancholy tone and why? <laughs> mm. but, yeah, I, I think that they're usually very good at striking the tones they intend to. Five can have its down moments, but it's usually like just uh, depression at the unfairness of the world. It's very thematic. Yeah, so. it's like, I mean, it's about as upbeat as you can get when the entire theme is revolt against reality yeah revolt against society revolt against reality but... find the god of the world and put a bullet through his head good enough for me uh... <laughs> especially uh, like I would say the honestly most like actually downbeat in terms of its content is probably too just because of everything that actually happens in it. So that one, like just the events 
uh, mixed with its aesthetics are pretty pretty downcast. Uh, yeah, for for the for the ones that I do find kind of uh, sad, it's usually because that's very much there. It's not just one element that's evoking that. It's like the entire uh, themes, visual, and soundscape are all like conspiring together to project a specific mood. Mm -hmm. um, okay, well, there's a different idea then. So, for the next Persona game, what should the theme be for the Persona? Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about that myself, because it's hard to come up with something that's as fun as Thieves. <laughs> Uh, really I was thinking, like, the, okay, the Sorbonne University students, Polytechnique, have it be like some sort of like revolutionary scho um, like scholars or thinkers, like even like from the past, like Galen or Hypatia or Newton. Wouldn't be weird. Newton mm. would be very weird. Um, Newton was. Weird. <laughs> it wouldn't be the weirdest Newton I've seen. I watched. Uh, What's that called? Escaplane. That had uh, evil Sir Isaac Newton as its villain. <laughs> Isaac Newton was already pretty evil. Um, yeah, well, eviler, and also eviler. unwillingly isekai into a fantasy world 500 years ago. <laughs> hmm. as, as it happens, yes. I mean, also <laughs> ridiculously mystic on the, the weirdest things. I mean, Sir Isaac Newton, always, always a, a known occult lover. <laughs> He's the reason why the why the color spectrum has indigo in it. Yep. Do you remember why? It's uh it's like num it's like a it's some numerology shit, isn't it? Seven is a lucky number. Yep. He's the exact reason. So there needed to be seven colors in the rainbow, so wow. maybe there's something between maybe there's something between blue and violet, who can say? I mean, it was an actual color, and he could identify it. It's just most people wouldn't. Could have gone. Many would consider it shades yeah. of the all aforesaid. Yeah. Well, hello, hello, hello. Okay, for a second, I thought I was cutting out or something. Uh. Oh, um sure there'd be something interesting it would have to <laughs> into the story the better um in some way mm. yeah like whatever they choose they, all of it would depend on what they decide is going to be the actual threat to existence yeah i mean part of the reason the persona games work and tend to work better than their competition is that you can't really jenga tower out bits of them without making large portions of the metaphor cease to make sense or collapse in on themselves. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if you, if you come up with a set of uh, personas, you usually have to come up with a bunch of things that are uh, like the themes that those personas are supposed to represent within the story and how the, like that set of, uh, that collection and theme on those ties into that. It's yeah, you can't really you can't really just push. Uh, you can't really do one without eventually settling on what the others are. Uh, 
you know, I mean, last last time was uh, famous thieves. Before that, it was uh, before that it was Shinto gods. Not even gods. Like Tomoe Gozen was a semi-legendary historical figure. Yeah, yeah. Uriah was a completely fictional ninja that everyone forgets is fictional. Hmm. If you're gonna if you're gonna pull out a if you're gonna put a ninja in your thing, it's usually gonna be like. Jiraiya or Hattori Hanzo. Yeah. I mean, the, the tale of the gallant Jiraiya basically created most of the ninja tropes in manga. Hmm. Which is impressive for something that was written in the late 18th century. Just, uh, just really stuck because people want to, if you're going to tell a ninja story, you might as well tell, uh, might as well tell the oh, one people you, have heard of. <laughs> did you ever hear the reason why ninja outfits are the way they are? In, weren't they uh they 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 look like stagehands kabuki theater stagehands yes yeah and so it's like people in that context the, the people are supposed to be operating the, the machines or the puppets or things in the background and everyone just ignores that their presence the yeah you're stage. used to them being there so you don't pay them any mind and then one of them jumps right, out and the one of them draws a sword and kills the main character <laughs> yeah i mean that's some fourth wall breaks there <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, hit another one of the questions on the list. What is your favorite story of developers making consoles do things that they are not supposed to do, or at least trying to squeeze out just a little bit more horse than are? Uh, I, I, had... st I still love the story yeah. of fitting the entirety of um, Pokemon Red and Blue's location into gold and silver it just seems so uh, really, I mean, the closest thing you could ever call a heroic effort yeah and really a, a truly um like even epic heroic effort in games programming i mean it's not even the only time that iwata did that though because he's also <laughs> the only reason that earthbound was releasable i can was... fix it in three years or remake it in one in six months which do you prefer <laughs> <laughs> The man was not human. No. Yeah, he was. He was something else. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> would not be surprised to hear that he he has been deified in his own little shrine somewhere in Akihabara. I would really. I mean, you know what? Fair. If you're gonna deify anyone who was a who was a CEO or something, you might as well yeah. do someone that uh, was that good. Mm -hmm. to... I feel like or that's that's what kind of made him extra special too. Is we're so used to. Terrible human being CEOs. Terrible human beings and CEOs that were their previous job was CEO of somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> As this guy's job was take take everyone's great ideas and actually make them work. Mm. Yeah, the, the the heroic programmer that makes sure that a bunch of your favorite games actually get to come out. Uh, let's see. Point where uh, they had to eulogize him in a Pokemon game. Yeah, and then of course uh, someone who during his stint as CEO was like famous for the company is taking the company's uh, taking a huge bath in terms of profits, so we have lowered the pay of all of the executive staff, and also laid off uh, no one. Yeah, we've lo we've lowered the pay of the executive staff so that we do not have to lay off anyone. That feels especially poignant right now. Yeah. Uh, current American. 
Yeah, no. Uh, tech companies. No, my dad and I had a conversation, and I was just like, you know, if Microsoft laid off no one, they would come out of all of this perfectly fine and probably still make tons and tons of money. Yeah, but they wouldn't be able to afford stock buyback. You understand the concern. Uh, going, the, the, going entire, the entire concept of the moral and ethical obligation to the shareholders to maximize everything Oof. is probably the most damaging philosophical concept of the 20th century. Yeah. It means that no one cares about anything further than 90 days out. It's bad. Uh, yeah. uh, let's see. This Fire also explains brings... a lot about why Japanese companies are still different from American. Yeah. Fire Miner brings up. Why 7-Eleven is a Japanese company now. <laughs> and a bank. And a bank yes. as well, yes. Yes, yes <laughs> it is a Japanese and, company and, and it is a bank as well. But uh, I was going to say before I forget, uh, when uh, talking about this kind of thing, uh, Firewinder brings up the Xbox 360 port of Titanfall 1, which is... Oh, yeah, that's, that's, um, a, good, that's a good one. That's Yeoman's work. Yeah. Uh, the if, if you're talking about that, I mean, there's a bunch of... Com like, Witcher 3 and Nier Automata on Switch are both uh, incredible ports. Yeah. Uh, I think... I think a really funny one is uh, Ark Survival Evolved got ported to the Switch twice, and the first oh, one's yeah. legendarily bad. And then they, I guess, just to redeem themselves, made a better one years, years and years later. Yeah. Right. That's always funny. <laughs> Gotta go retrieve a toddler. I'll be right back. Gotcha. Um, trying to think of... Uh, this is this is one that's always kind of fun if you go and look at uh all very old uh the the formative years of console indie games the ps1 uh net yadose games mm -hmm. uh the yadose was a consumer level uh dev kit you sent sony a check for like six hundred dollars sometimes they would remember to cash it sometimes they wouldn't and they would send you a black playstation one that you could with some software that you could use to make uh, indie games on, uh, and there was really no way to distribute them other than to put them on the late 90s internet, and maybe sometimes, like, someone would get in contact with you who made demo discs. But uh, Yaloza games, because they didn't, like, you couldn't make uh, CDs of them that you could uh, play, that you could use to play them, uh, they had to fit within uh, the PS1's RAM, like two megabytes of RAM. Uh, and so that's, that's extraordinarily limiting for obvious reasons. But you would see games that did very strange things, like, uh, like mixing their sound in order to, have, to be able to use the RAM that's supposed to handle sound sampling and use that for... Uh, like gameplay. Uh, um, let's see, I have have only one game to really mention in this kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. It a Star Knight. I've heard of that, but I know very little about. It. I met the dude at Tokyo Game Show. Oh, you told me you mentioned this on a podcast once. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He's he's this really really energetic mangaka. Um, I think I described him as having all the energy of a corgi puppy. <laughs> he does. Those are uh, excitable was, little pups. 
<laughs> I, I remember him. He was so excited to be showing me this game that he had. It was, I played on the iPad for a bit and pretty well. And then he told me that to come back the next day because he was bringing it in for the Famicom. <laughs> I'm like, what? sure, why not? And so I had to get the story for, um, from him via his uh, friendly translator because I couldn't quite follow all of it. Apparently he and a programmer friend of his were like doing some sort of deep dive through, I'm not even sure what corner of Akihabara they were in, but they came across a demo cartridge for an old Famicom game that never got past the concept stage. Ah, oh, that's wild. And it may have been something like a like an, a concept for a, a Mario side game or something. It was basically mm -hmm. the main character just going along the levels and trying to grab all the coins along the way. Mm-hmm. So, with the help of his programmer, he managed to turn this into a cutesy anime game where the main character, his designed character, was running through the, each level trying to catch all as many stars as she could before they passed by. Mm. Like an inverse mm. bullet hell, if you can imagine. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And, but, again, remember, this is a Famicom game. It's running on Famicom hardware. Not even high-end stuff. Um, so, talking like 20-frame animation on the main character. We're talking three-layer parallax backgrounds. Oh, that's wild. We're talking each star, <laughs> the stars are 3D modeled. Huh. They're, they're not little, they're not little hmm. points, they're not just random shapes. They are twinkly things that, that rotate in place as they the screen. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> 20 to 30 at a time at, towards the end. Um, hey. We're talking um, it was eight different worlds, two difficulty levels, but the same worlds for each difficulty level, and 16 different chiptunes by every single friend he could call in the industry. So I, I can't remember where this article was on RP Gamer because I lost it, lost the link at some point. It's it's somewhere in the depth. It's definitely of the on the old site somewhere. But the the list of 8-bit chiptune composers was a who's who of the 80s and 90s video game music. <laughs> you, had the, you had the composer for Dig Dug in here. Wow. The composer for Seventh Dragon in there. <laughs> had like like 16 different composers and they are all fairly big names if you know anything about Japanese chiptunes and I don't remember who any mm -hmm. of them are at this point but um and apparently they managed to fit all of this into a single Amicom cartridge with less than 1k of RAM to spare <laughs> it's like that cartridge is filled to the brim <laughs> He got it officially published. Good work. <laughs> I have seen this thing in stores. <laughs> uh, some other it's ones. Just, uh, it's just it's if you are interested at all in Famicom history, you should pick it up just for the fact that it is like the most impossible little thing I've ever seen. <gasps> hmm. It's not a particularly complicated game. It's not particularly long. It's just. If you just look at the the graphics, you're like, how did they get this out of a Famicom game? <laughs> Very demo scene in that sense. Uh, to hit a, a couple more that were uh, brought up in chat, 
uh, Fire Miner brings up, anyone remember a Japanese visual novel from Nintendo on the NES that got remade on the Super NES? That's Metal Slater Glory that you're thinking of. Uh, which is, if you, if you ever look up the guy who was principally responsible for Metal Slater Glory, you'll find that he's still obsessed with it and still loves it. <laughs> Like it's all, it's all he cares about. It's the game he, it's the game he wanted to make, and he made it twice, and it's all he cares about. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very impressive Famicom and Super Famicom game in terms of the amount of art uh, assets and just general uh, pixel art that made their way into it. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's worth looking up. Uh, then Fireminer brings up Guilty Gear and a lot of other fighting games got hit hard when they reported PS1. Guilty Gear is a PS1 original. Guilty Gear The Missing Link I don't believe has an arcade version. Uh, or at the very least, it definitely originated on PS1. But yeah, a lot of PS1 fighting games are kind of bad uh, for this reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, the Capcom versus games that reported to PS1 got hit really hard by this. Uh but there's, there's some gems. Street Fighter Alpha 3 on PS1 is a really impressive port. Uh, there's there's reasons for why that is. It's using a much more native to PS1 technique for how to draw its uh, characters rather than like natively spriting them. Uh, it, it's weird. It, it's, doing weird it, it's doing things that would be weird on any other system at the time, but which made it natively make more sense on the PS1. Uh, sort of the same thing with Symphony of the Night, where like when they ported that Saturn, it it doesn't run well at all because it's trying to use PS1 techniques to make 2D when the Saturn is very much not built around those techniques. Uh, I seem to recall that the explanation for that is that the PS1's like uh, the, the PS1 sprites are flat polygons, which uh, causes them the the command to draw them is works best with very different inputs than uh, the way that they were typically uh, storing and drawing sprites on other consoles. Uh, OG Guilty Gear definitely had an arcade version. I believe it, but I'm almost certain it's a native, natively a PS1 game. Uh, any sort of confirmation about whether that's the case, though. Because it definitely wasn't, as far as I know, it was not per se conceived as a fighting game, at least not by everyone who worked on it. Uh, let's see. One Ishwatari apparently joined Arxis and said he wanted to make a game like Street Fighter. It's, oh, no, it was that they, after making uh, Guilty Gear, they initially said that they would never make a game like it again because it was really hard. <laughs> see, Team Blood, uh, originally 3D rendered. Oh, yeah, there's some previews of Guilty Year 1 that show it as a 3D rendered game. So, uh, it would have been a different world. Yeah, it seems to have natively been a PlayStation game that found its way to arcades rather than the other way around. That's weird. I mean, was, eventually that became standard. Yeah. Like, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird little game. Guilty Gear One is not good, 
uh, very, uh, you run into a lot of situations where a character can combo into their instant kill and just end the round, <laughs> which is, there's, there's a reason that instant kills in Guilty Gear are nearly impossible to pull off now. But, uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Like, just generally, like, the, the PS1 is good at 2D, certainly, but, you know, it definitely had to be handled very differently, and that's why, uh, you know, you get the occasional thing like Alpha 3 that was a very good PS1 port because they spent a lot of time uh, recontextualizing it and reworking uh, how it functioned. And then sometimes you would get things like, I think it's like X-Men versus Street Fighter on PS1, or it's one of those, or maybe it's Marvel superheroes, but it's like one of those where it's just like, this port is bad. <laughs> it's a bad version of this video game. I think that one might have been actually not even made by Capcom. Let me check. Uh, let's see. Yeah, X-Men versus Street Fighter does have a PS1 version. That's probably the one I was thinking of. Uh, okay, uh, I'm thinking of Darkstalkers when I'm thinking of a game that was not actually made by Capcom. There is a port of Darkstalkers to like PS1 that was made by Psygnosis rather than Capcom for some reason. Huh. But the, the PS1 version of, of X-Men vs. Street Fighter is very, very bad. I think it just uh, tends to slow down real, real bad. Um, the one thing Saturn could do better. Yep. If you wanted to just make an old school 2D game, Saturn was your Saturn was for you. Yep. Hmm. With uh, with Marvel Sega. Yeah. With Marvel Superheroes versus Street Fighter, that port is still not good per se, in the sense that it doesn't it, it loses a lot of stuff from the original version, but at least it doesn't constantly itch and slow down. Uh, let's see. Uh, Capcom 1 on PS1 is an entirely different game from the arcade original. I've never even seen the PS1 port of Marvel's Capcom 1. Like, I played, I, when, I was, when I was growing up, I had Marvel Superheroes vs. Street Fighter, which is recognizable, but very much not the same game because they had to cut out uh, all of the. Uh, the tag team mechanic, which I would assume is also the case uh, for the uh, PS1 version of uh, Marvel's Capcom. Just lame. Very much a uh, very much a Saturn and Dreamcast franchise, though. Yeah. I do think one of the funniest, uh, speaking of these weird uh, fighting game ports, the funniest has to be uh, Street Fighter Alpha 3 coming out on Saturn a month after it came out on Dreamcast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you wanted the arcade perfect part, uh, that, that Saturn version is pretty much arcade perfect, and it has, I think, the bonus features from the PS1 version as well. So. Hey, how about Street Fighter Alpha on Super Nintendo? Oh, Alpha Two on Super Nintendo. That's a wild game. That's a cartridge game with loading times because it has a it has a ton of data that's just been compressed all to hell and needs a special chip in order to decompress it. <laughs> but it's a it's a very impressive port. 
there's, there's not a ton of reason to go back to it, but it's interesting that they've managed to make it happen to an acceptable degree. It's yeah. honestly less, it, it feels less compromised than the versus games on PS1. <laughs> there's, a, there's a part of CBS1 to the PS1 that I've never actually seen how good or bad it is. Capcom versus SMK Pro that came out around the time that CBS2 came out on PS2. Uh, the, uh, that one, I would be very curious how well that actually turned out because uh, that that's another one where it's like, how, do you, how are you intending to fit this with the S1's meager RAM? Okay, let's take a look. Uh, the sprites look the part. There's definitely been some uh, animation cuts, as was always the case with the PS1 versions, but the game actually... The backgrounds look nice. The sprites look okay. Uh, it seems to... Uh, I forget if CBS1... Oh, it doesn't have horrible load times. There's that, at least. I forget if CBS1 ever had... Uh, proper tagging, or if it was like KOF, where it was just once your character died, you gotta you switched to the next one. Uh, CBS Pro on PS1, like that's a very late PS1 port, but it's honestly, you know, it's not your ideal way of playing CBS One, but it's, you know, not a complete tire fire like some of the earlier PS1 ports. So. <laughs> uh, worthy of note. Um, Some funky Japanese only PS uh, Japanese only ports of fighting games on the PS2, GameCube, and Dreamcast. Ever heard about CBS2 easy, uh, easy operation? Yes, and that's not Japanese only in that case. That even came out on the Xbox in the US. That was the only version of CBS2 with official uh, support for. I believe that had Xbox Live support. Yep. So you could play that online. Uh, but hardcore. That. Hardcore CBS2 fans despise Easy Operation because it uh, it fixed a bug that is like key to the competitive game, uh, like role canceling. So no one ever plays CBS2 EO. Uh, uh, this is an interesting uh, weird little object. Uh, a brief period when uh, companies would actually bother porting their games to GameCube. <laughs> Oh, uh, a curse level system. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's some there's some real weird uh, games and ports around that time. Uh, just as everyone tries to sort of abandon ship now that the Dreamcast <laughs> is super super dying. Uh, speaking of things with a curse little life. Wheels is cackling. Uh, if I was going to bring up one more of the games that are remarkably impressive, given the hardware they're on, I wanted to bring up Rekka. Uh, Which one? It's a Rekka. It's a... Flame of uh, Rekka? What? Flame of Rekka? Or... No, just Rekka. It's a 1992 shooter for the Famicom. Uh, and it uh, it's... It's remarkable how much it manages to put on screen for a commercial Famicom game that uh, is not just horrible. Like, I forget what the exact sprite limitations per layer are on the Famicom, but it's like, it's 
somewhere between like three and six. It's not a huge number before sprites start flickering. Uh, and Rekka, which was... a fairly well-detailed second stage picture here on Wikipedia. Yeah, and Rekka eventually gets like just tons of enemies on screen uh, and bullets all over it. And because of like stuff that it's doing in the background, you get very little slowdown and very little flicker. It's pretty impressive. It's, yeah, no, it's an extremely, extremely impressive game. The uh, oh, uh, Summer Carnival. Okay, that's yeah, Summer oh, Carnival '92. And it's the same Rekka as Flame of Rekka. That's why I was a little confused there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the same like kanji. But... It's program... kanji. It just means like it has something to do with like torch and flame and things like that. Yeah. It was it, it was programmed by someone who went on to make a bunch of very uh, popular with hardcore shooter fans games like Battle Garaga. I can uh, I can already see that, yeah. But yeah, it's it's in, an incredible achievement on the fan account. Uh, uh, it was it was very much uh, someone making a Famicom game that was. Uh, they were trying to make a Famicom game with uh, a Famicom shooter that was competitive with the kinds of things that you were seeing on like PC Engine in terms of shooters. And they did about as well as any human being could possibly have expected to. <laughs> Eventually, you're just going to hit the hard limit of the hardware. and. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. It's honestly surprising that they didn't just explode. Uh, anyone remember the one or two cave shmups on the OG Xbox? Yeah. Cave, for some reason, shooter companies ended up on the Xbox much faster than any other Japanese company. Yeah, I, I, I remember there was some some reason for it. I think a part of it was because the PC market in Japan had such a large number of shmups. And yeah, it was probably easier to port them to the Somehow, Xbox became the shooter of the, the shmup console for Japan. That was like the only yeah. thing that solvent for a while yeah it was one of those things where it was like this this is something that we can port this to hardcore fans will buy it and it's a relatively easy port to make yeah yeah it's kind of crazy the number of shmups on the xbox in japan yeah i always think it's very funny genre in the entire console yeah I, I always think it's very funny when you look at like the list of things uh, Cave has put out because you'll see like they're always trying to make sure that they can like they will put their things on anything that can make money like that won't be intolerably difficult to port them to even if they make no sense which is why you'll get things like Dodon Pachi Daiojo ported to the iPhone. Uh-huh. Like, I, can you imagine someone playing that that way? Nope, can't. I'm not even sure what game that is. Uh, Dodonpachi Daiojo? It's, uh, okay. it's, it's a bullet hell shooter, that's all you need to know. Oh, okay, that's an odd good idea for iOS. Yeah, but they did it because it was something they could do. Uh, I think my personal favorite of the weird cave things uh, is... They made, they made a game called Instant Brain for the Xbox, which is a Instant Brain, which is, uh, for the 360, I should say, uh, a game called Instant Brain, which 
Uh, it's, a, it's a visual novel. It's a description. But the thing that makes it insane is that Instant Brain has a port of Dodon Panchi, one of their very, uh, the, one of the bigger games and one of their bigger uh, bullet house suitors with Kinect support. Hey. Imagine playing Imagine so playing a bullet hell game with a camera sensor. <laughs> oh, oh no, no, no! Love that. So stupid. So insane. But uh, for for a while, American uh, shmup fans would port, would import Instant Brain because it was the only way to get a relatively accurate, like, not super accurate because it's an emulation and it's not a perfect emulation, but a relatively accurate port of uh, Dodon Pachi to a modern console. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just incredibly funny. Like, imagine someone actually playing Kinect Dodon Pachi. <sighs> Also, just the name Instant Brain is very funny. I like thinking about that. That's a good name. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, let's put a couple more from the uh, question pile before we wrap up. What? <laughs> This is, this is an ambiguous statement now. In the last episode of last year, not fully certain which year this was. This might have been 2020. It might have been 2021. Mm. Uh, in the last episode of last year, you talked about the disparity between making characters look cool and getting the character development. What about games that have this story centered around the characters always look? Wouldn't it be the default for most games since you're being able to do everything anyway? I mean, it, it kind of is the default for most games. The protagonists in most games are pretty static, relatively speaking. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, and like when you uh, one of the things one of the games I can think of where someone actually looked at that and tried to uh, tried to square that circle was uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 where like the point was that the player thinks that Solid Snake is the coolest the coolest character who has ever fucking lived and so you play as a character who also thinks Solid Snake is incredibly cool, but also is designed to contrast Solid Snake, and that worked almost too well. Players thought he was lame as hell. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's a bit of a shame, but it, it, it's, it's interesting because it was a very specific uh, choice being made to, okay, well, there's only so much we can do with Snake, so we're going to center the game around someone who isn't as cool as Snake, but also, like you still have Snake around, you can observe him from a third, uh, from the perspective of someone who is not Snake. Uh, and of course, they they draw the contrast of how how tough Snake is compared to someone who is already a very uh, that you've played through a game that shows they're a very accomplished soldier. Because uh, Snake, at the end of the game, literally just breaks a pair of handcuffs. He's been handcuffed in so that he can do things, which is not something you that they were going to get away with having Raiden do. I'll put it that way. But, yeah, uh, it's, an, it's, it's one of those things like, uh, you know, you look at most games and the protagonist is supposed to be some combination of, uh, if, if the protagonist has a personality, they are generally some sort of cool and collective. 
And if they don't have a personality, the implied personality is something that is relatable to the target audience. That's kind of just how the default mode of game writing works. Like the main character of Tales of the Abyss, who is so relatable as a complete little bastard of a junior high school student that I completely stopped playing the game because I had to deal with people like that all the time anyway. Um, uh, that, and that's why games often don't have the characters have strong personalities. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because Tales of the Abyss is about him growing out of being a little shit. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, if you already have you know, to deal with somebody like that on a regular a basis, shit. yeah, you don't want to. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that, that, like, you know, once you... In the context of the game, it fully makes sense why he is the person that he is, but it's one of those things where, like, if you make a character with a really strong personality and people really don't like that really strong personality, mm-hmm. you end up in a, in a place where people stop playing your game. Uh, I can say something about it. Uh, I'm thinking about how, like, games as a whole will... Uh, even games that have largely cipher protagonists, uh, you look at the... Uh, protagonists of like Persona 4 and 5 especially are both very relatively decisive characters uh, like when they when they set out to design Persona 4's protagonist he was designed to give off a sort of Boncho vibe even though he's like not a delinquent at all hmm. but you know that was the vibe they wanted him to give off is officially a delinquent and he looks more like a like what's right over here a um, conservatory music student uh, but that also fits with the game's themes as so often the case with persona once he has to label people start seeing him as a delinquent regardless of what he is yep. uh, yeah uh, I, I think in, i think in general like you know uh, even even in characters that are ciphers, like the passive feeling of the audience is, I relate to this character, but also they're pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you end up with these uh, these designs that are designed to walk very specific lines, uh, and then like a lot of this will end up being reinforced by how characters uh, react to uh, to your character to, to the point where like the game is essentially using other characters just to communicate how you should feel about your protagonist. You go back and play something like... like um, because there's always the close companion, very talkative character, who's the foil yeah, you, to your character. Like um, yeah, Yangus. Yangus is the perfect yeah. example. Yeah, Yangus is designed to essentially unconditionally love your protagonist, such that you feel happier playing them. <laughs> He's such a great guy. Yeah, and it's one of those things. Like, if you do this right, the then it may then it the writing serves two purposes. You get a sympathetic, like, friend character that makes your character care more about uh, that makes you care more about your character and this other character that is like your friend character. Unfortunately, this uh, backfired for them with Dragon Quest Nine, where several where a bunch of Japanese fans were like, review bombing the game before its release based solely on the fairy. Yeah, but, I didn't mind like, this, that much, but oh well. But this wasn't even like exclusive to. Uh, this wasn't even exclusive to JRPGs. You look at something like since I've been recently playing this, Dragon Age Two, 
you have the the friend character of Varric Tethris, who's like your dwarf friend, who's uh, with you the entire game, and who like no matter how you treat him, he's always going to treat you like his best friend. And because he is the one t- essentially telling the story, he creates a greater sense of empathy for both himself and the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And that uh, you know, there's there's just a lot of reasons that you design characters around these are these archetypes in a way to turn away the fewest number of players while still getting to tell the story and show the other characters you want also i in any of the of the current persona series games the first character that you recruit for your party is always going to have the same kind of characteristics yeah, it's just they're they're remixes on these same ideas, and they've you'll you'll notice that as they've done these games more, they've gotten uh, like by the time you hit Ryuji in five, they've kind of ironed out the thing that people often most often complain about, which is that uh, in three and four, there's varying degrees of resentment that the uh, friend character has for the protagonist being the like essentially the perfect character. Mm. Uh, and that, that largely goes away with Ryuji. He has other concerns that make him relatable rather than someone who is just sort of uh, halfway oh, between cool. fawning over the protagonist and upset at the fact that he's fawning over the protagonist. From our trails games, where you've got different. I was going to okay. say, like Ron Weasley in Harry Potter as well. But yeah. yeah, pretty much. Uh, kind of character. Okay, yes. Okay, sorry. Uh, remember Trails games where you've got different characters constantly showering praises on other characters, either that or they were just holding back. Yeah, that, that sort of thing happens a lot as well. You're, and that's, that's partly because stories tend to be about characters who are considered, uh, stories especially for mass market consumption, generally centered around characters who are considered exceptional in some fashion. And so it's very hard to tell a story that involves an adventure where your character is realistically unaccept- unexceptional the entire time. <laughs> or maybe exceptional in a bad or in a conventionally not positive way. Like imagine Sancho Panza being the hero, uh, being the protagonist of the game. <laughs> you know what? I would play really a game fun. where you're Sancho. I think, I'm thinking yeah. this would be a really fun idea. You know, you want to be. You just play like, a game where Sancho Panza trying to keep Don Quixote from successfully accidentally killing himself. Yeah. Whereas most games would want you to be more like Don Quixote, who as he actually thinks he is. Yeah. They're they're Don Quixote machines. Yeah. <sighs> they're always giants. They're always giants in your world. But... Speaking of random games, um, I remember reading somewhere there was a. An attempt at making a baby ga- uh, at making a video game for Baby's Day Out. I'm sure someone did that because it was a license that existed there in the late was, 80s. There was a game. <laughs> there was a game, but it never came out. I was actually, oddly yeah. enough, was listening to a podcast where they were talking about this. Yeah. Uh, this uh, week. Yeah, it was like it was it was in concept or something, and that never made it all the way. But it was instead of it instead of you controlling the baby because the the entire point of the movie was like one of those old cartoons where the baby wanders off and somehow yeah. miraculously survives everything it goes through. The game was supposed to be like, you are the guardian angel of this baby trying yes. to arrange things so that he doesn't die. That it's reminds me of... Okay. 
Hello? Uh, I'm finished. Oh, okay. Uh, that reminds me of Sega's extremely weird Room Mania game. Anyone anyone know about this? No. Oh. So they made a game back in the Dreamcast era called Room Mania number 203, which was you were like a weird like um, omniscient force in the life of this like hikikomori that you would like do you would read his diary to sort of understand what he wanted out of life and then you would essentially find ways to fuck with him in order to force him to do things hmm. it's a very strange uh object <laughs> Uh, but, that's uh, that's definitely a life management sim game. I've seen some. Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like you're trying to make this person's life better, but there's like this sense of distance. You aren't specifically you aren't this character. You're just managing their life in some fashion. That's the game Contact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Except at the end of Contact, the game that everyone's like, "I wish you hadn't. I I wish you hadn't." <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, I remember going into the last level of contact thinking, okay, this is going to be our midway point, like the floating floating continent in Final Fantasy VI, but no, it just ended there. <laughs> I was waiting for like the, the hero kid to recruit the player to join the terrorist group to fight the professor. <laughs> and that never happened. Yeah, not so much. No. Definitely a letdown at the end. I do think a lot about the like. W there's a there's a second Romania, new Romania, and it has a sequence where the like the character is like singing and dancing very darkly to a song that will never leave my head ever since the first time that I heard. <laughs> and I'm going to drop it in the Discord. You are going to be forced to be aware of it now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> sorry, just, just something that stuck out in my head. And, uh, Firewinder is remembering the existence of Lester the Unlikely, another game that was likely unsuccessful, at least in part because the main character is just a just a huge nerd. I remember that one. That was the game where half the problem was the fact that the character was programmed not to do things that it thought were too dangerous. So it was actually fighting your controls. Yeah, like after, like you see that at the very beginning of the game. It's like you walk forward and he sees a turtle and immediately runs screaming in the other direction. I mean, like, you could not walk in too close to the edges of things. Yeah, he would just... he would back off from the edge and start like shaking his knees like oh big nerd damn it luster <laughs> but yeah it was made by visual concepts of all people <laughs> you may know them for making all of Sega sports games back in the Dreamcast era yeah that was visual concepts what's the visual concept what's that uh, you know what a Dreamcast is. <laughs> Fuck you. Remember, not thinking of other visual concepts games that were 
uh, regrettable concepts. Remember uh, Floygan Brothers? No. <laughs> it, I need to pull up one of those funniest Dreamcast quotes. shit? It is. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring up one of the funniest statements anyone's ever made in human history. The then president of Sega of America, Bernie Stolar, during development is alleged to have said, Floygan will do for Sega what Mario did for Nintendo. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, incredible. Uh, That game got really bad reviews. and One of the few things I've ever heard about it is that, like, the president of visual concepts uh, angrily uh, phoned up EGM complaining that they had given it a bad score. (laughs) Okay, I just kind of dropped out for the last 30 seconds. What game are they angry at? Uh, Floygan Brothers for the Dreamcast. A what and what? (laughs) Exactly. yeah, that's probably the the most uh, accurate way of responding to Floygan Brothers is what? It's probably the most that Floygan Brothers has been discussed in the past 20 years. Less than. I routinely discuss Floygan Brothers because I'm broken in the head. <laughs> Insane in the brain? Insane in the brain! Well, hey, it's just like Sorry. me talking about natural doctrine all the time. And no one seems to care. You do? I had a I had a very good. Uh, I got to I, I responded to a very bad social media meme this week. Uh, mm-hmm. What subject would make you do this? Oh, good. I and that's just a screenshot of a text message thing that says, "Oh, good. I get to explain this to you. You will regret this." And then like signs that they are obviously typing something long. <laughs> and my response was, "Games with names like Yanya Cavalista featuring Dobby." I saw that, yes. I was like, I must know myself in some. Yanya Cavalista featuring Gawu was a cell shaded skateboarding game made by Koei for the PS2 where you killed aliens by doing skateboard tricks. Cool. That actually sounds awesome. It, it would be if it weren't for the fact that it was intended to be controlled by attaching a finger skateboard to the PS2's analog sticks. That sounds horrible. It does not control well. Um. <laughs> I would imagine not. It was. It did manage to come out in the U.S. under the much less uh, baffling title Yanya Cavalista City Skater. But in Japan, it somehow came out as Yanya Cavalista featuring Gawu. The, the aliens you're killing with skateboard tricks are named Gawu. I don't know why they aren't a featuring credit. <laughs> And just to make things more confusing, Yanya Cavalista is in Katakana. I don't know what language it's supposed to be from. Cabalista? Yeah, Cabalista. Probably Spanish. I would presume Spanish, but I've brought up that title to people who speak Spanish, and their response was, what the hell are you talking about? Well, I mean, Cabalista sounds like Cabalism. So, I mean, Kabbalah. It's definitely not that. (laughs) I, I don't know what happened here. It's a weird game. It's a very weird game. Oh, man, it was published by Koei. Allegedly, according to... If Wikipedia is to be believed, it was developed by Cave. Uh-huh. What a life. What a time to be alive. Uh-huh. The, uh, the Cambrian explosion of the video games. Yeah. Um... Yeah, 
I think this is probably a good time for us to start wrapping it up. Uh, let's see. Uh, so let's maybe uh, start wrapping it up by telling me about where I can get my latest, my the latest and greatest in uh, pizza parlors and princesses. Ah. Uh. So yes, uh, so do you, if you enjoy tabletop role-playing games, if you enjoy playing them, if you enjoy watching other people play them, and again, this is its own boom business on YouTube these days, apparently, uh, Then, and if you don't mind reading this kind of narrative in either ebook or dead tree format, then consider Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu on Kindle Kindle Unlimited. Um, you can say, experience some poor dice rolls, some poor personal decisions, some actual character growth. I mean, just ignore the one review in the first episode that says no character growth. I mean, he stopped way too early. Um, and just wait until I get to episode 11 where I actually just parody that review just to hell. And back <laughs> to the hell. Um, but, <laughs> hey, I can do that. I'm the author. Ha ha. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, so Princesses of the Pizza Parlor for Kindle and Kindle Unlimited um, by Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Um, and uh, yep, yeah, so check it out because the, it is now February. The Kindle sales dashboard has reset and all of the lovely numbers from last month have disappeared. <sighs> no. So I currently have... Um, Something that says, "Oh, people have read eleven pages of this again." Give it a look. It's always uh, it, it did not go bad. Not now that the sale is over, and it's still very cheap. So, give it a look. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's see, uh, these are not expensive ebooks. Yeah, you can you can take a chance, yeah. can't you? Yeah, which makes it all the more annoying that nobody ever does. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, wheels. Uh, you can catch the show live on twitch.tv slash askwheels every Wednesday night, usually 11 to midnight-ish EST, sometimes a little earlier. Uh, you can also watch Sunday Night Shenanigans, which is our weekly multiplayer game show. Sunday nights at midnight Eastern Time. Last week we played GoldenEye, which is now playable online. Uh, Nintendo Switch Online. We had a good time mocking Wheels' yes. uh, failures in the single player and then getting very angry at each other in the multiplayer. As it as should happen. Uh, this week, uh, we're either going to go back to Halo 5 or I feel like we're probably going to want to play some Perfect Dark. This... You know, I hear it's perfect. Yeah, GoldenEye, <laughs> GoldenEye is a lot of fun. But Perfect Dark is kind of better. I don't know if that's yeah. a controversial take. I don't think it is anymore. Yeah. So it's playing that game, which, while a lot of fun, honestly just made me kind of want to play Perfect Dark. That's uh, why they're both available now. Yeah, plus <laughs> we can play that with bots, so we're not just killing each other. We also have, like... AIs to obliterate. <laughs> uh, so that should be more fun. Well, that's probably what we'll end up playing. 
Uh, and it's just nice to be able to play old games again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they they were in case anyone has never played it, the remaster of the original Perfect Dark, the rare collection. I think you can buy it separately too, because that's it, it was originally released. Yeah, separately. it's originally separate. Is really really good. Highly recommend. Yeah, that uh, it's it's honestly, if you played the N sixty four version, it is unsettling to play a version of Perfect Dark that runs at a steady sixty frames per second. Yeah. The original ran at an unsteady twenty. Okay. Uh, often dipping down into the low teens or even single digits. If you complain wow. about modern frame rates that aren't 60, I will laugh at you. <laughs> so people will complain about things that they have only had available for like 10 minutes. It's true, it's true. But that doesn't mean, this just gives me more license to laugh at them. I've yeah. lived, I, I have lived when you just sort of accepted that a game would sometimes dip into uh, slideshow frame rates like <laughs> frame rates low enough that the human eye would not detect them as motion yeah i played a few yeah, that game mostly yeah, required sure. the expansion pack but i think you could still play bits of it without it was you could play like girl. you could not play the single player campaign at all you could play uh very small portions of the multiplayer uh you were limited, I think, in terms of both number of bots and number of human players, but I can't remember. It is very funny that, like, when you open up Perfect Dark with the expansion pack, it's labeled the perfect menu that has all of the stuff in it. Uh, if you load it without an expansion pack, it <laughs> you get less options, and it's just labeled the small but perfect menu. Which is, that's very cute. I thought that was funny. <laughs> It was pretty funny. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, but moving on. Uh, let's see. Tam's not here, so there's no one to plug the RP Gamer stream, but those happen every day. There's tons of, there's a lot of different kinds of streamers you can find if you care about RPGs, and I assume you do be keeping listening to this podcast long enough to reach this. Uh, you can find at least one streamer in the RPG Gamer stream crew that uh, cares about RPGs the same way you do. Yep. Uh, and they're streaming most every day at all sorts of hours. There's bound to be someone who fits their schedule. Uh, so give that a look. And I think Tam is usually Tuesdays and Thursdays in the uh, morning. And also, by the time this goes up, RP Gamers... Uh, Yearly awards should be up. Check yeah, that'll be fun. Highly recommend people check out. You write any of the write-ups for that? Uh, no. Uh, the the one I was most qualified to write for, Severin gave it to somebody else because he didn't want to inflict that pain on me. <laughs> I wrote, I'll take it. I wrote a few short ones. Nice, nice. Not that much this year. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, give those a look. Uh, and yeah, you can catch us on Wednesdays. You can also catch us on Sundays, as mentioned. Uh, you can ask us questions like Dear Friend Fireminer did. You can do that uh, multiple ways. You can uh, speak uh, speak your questions into the, com the podcast section of the Discord. You can ask us underneath the uh, 
in the comments sections underneath this very episode. You can ask, if you manage to catch us streaming, you can ask us live in the chat. Uh, also, Smoking Joe uh, just popped into the chat long enough to say hi, plug, so go uh, go give us Twitch and YouTube channel a look. They are both at Smoking Joe Gamer. The parts of that that are capitalized are the parts that you would actually expect. So... Uh, give that a look. I think recently he was playing Goldeneye. Before that, uh, I definitely caught a stream of him playing Persona 3 Portable. Good guy. Yeah. Good, uh, fun yeah, streams. Check out his streams. They're usually earlier than our streams. Which... They're usually not on the same days. He's very kind yeah. of that way. <laughs> and often too early for me to catch, but I try to pop in when I can. I blame your, your sheer daddishness, but... Uh... Yeah, you know. <laughs> Living that dad life. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, give those a look. Twitch.tv slash SmokinJoeGamer. Let's see. Uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, like I said, you can ask us questions underneath the uh, comment section, or if you catch us in the Twitch chat, you can ask them there. Anything else I'm trying to remember? Thanks once again, Fireminer, for providing our questions this week. Uh, let's see. Uh, Otherwise, I think that wraps it up. So see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya.